All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Just after 4 o'clock on Monday afternoon, welcome back to the Jason Berger Show. You're having an awesome day, as always, presented by PlayAlberta.ca, where a... Get the odds in on the Nuggets tonight to win their first ever NBA title. And then uh, tomorrow night, could see the Vegas Golden Knights win their first ever NHL title. I, I was being looking around to see if uh, they have, like, but, hey, which order do you think they're going to pass the uh, cup around? Might be uh, interesting. I would like to think that uh, some of the, uh, the, the original serving members marcia so riley smith william carlson mcnab those type of guys being there longest we'll see sometimes it's obviously how long you've been in the league too not just with the team but depends from uh, team to team so we'll see now we got uh we've been talking football sometimes you get a little bit lucky because we have a guest lined up today that we were going to talk about uh um something unique in our in our city, but also we can talk to him about something because he was an expert at that as well. As we get to our big guest of the day, brought to you by Silent Rides Charter Company, Alberta's premier bus charter company with state-of-the-art motor coaches that safely take your team or group to the next destination. Go to silentrides.ca for more information. Uh, former CFL or longtime member of the uh, Edmonton Elks uh, now is a constable for the Edmonton Police Service. Uh, Aaron Fiacone joins us. Aaron, welcome back to the show, man. How you doing? Well, very, very good, my friend. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I made it to the big time here, so I'm pretty excited about this interview with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, hey, we'll tell the jokes around here, all right, yeah. constable? Right on, man. Right Don't on. be nervous. I'm with you. I'm yeah, exactly. Hey, whatever you do, don't handle this interview like the O-line handled the short yardage. Well, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, I got to get your thoughts on that. But um, for you, when you when you made the jump from the uh, from uh, CFL to uh, to being a, a policeman, uh, was that something that was always a plan for you, or what made the change so easy? That's uh, a few factors there. I mean, I, it was a bit of soul searching for me. I remember when I left um, 
I left the Elks Fest, you know, the organization back then. I I'd done a lot of community relations stuff. I got uh, tons of opportunity to meet with a lot of different people, all different walks of life throughout our community. It was kind of special. So um, I didn't use that right away after I left. I used the connections that I, I got on the oil and gas field for a bit. And um, I realized, you know, being closer to home was super important because I was traveling a lot for work all the time. So um, I met a lot of great police officers as well along the way and it's just one of those progressions i um come from a locker room working with like-minded people in a locker room it was kind of a huge perk for me and then you know obviously you get into a police organization it's very like-minded as well you're all uh you know similar purpose for sure reason to perform and things like that so it was uh it was awesome man a lot of mutual support uh for me becoming a police officer i wanted to do it i know the organization if the shoot fit they definitely wanted to be as part of a the team there as well, so it was, uh, it was really, really good for me to just uh, take that step. Eventually, I got to where I want to be. So, so what's the, what's the process like as you're trying to uh, launch or get get started as uh, you know thinking about becoming a police uh, officer? Well, you know, I started a little bit later in life. You know, I had uh, I had football throughout my twenties. It was awesome uh, in terms of preparing me for a lot of the the stressors that you're going to go through, but. Um, you know, I remember Richie Hall as a coach. You know, he's one of the one of the ones that I had back in '09 and 2010. And his um, his his thing was, like, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So that was one thing that was really stuck with me, um, you know, through life actually. So um, just like any process, it's the difference between operating individually and collectively. And that's one thing that was really important. You know, as a, as a link, you're pretty useless, but as a chain, you're pretty strong. So we went through this process. Uh, you know, it was demanding for me. Um, and there's good reason for it. Um, obviously, it's, it's a big responsibility in this role. So um, it's a very valuable process. So it helped me learn a lot about myself, for sure. And my limitations and insecurities, you know, being uh, a little bit older in life at the time and being a big fella, uh, you know, jumping into a recruit class with a bunch of, uh, you know, I mean, there's amazing people all different walks of life, but I'm not used to running 10 kilometers at a time. So that was a bit of a, a, bit of a health process for the big man. But, um yeah, if you want something bad enough, you work for it. It was a lot of commitment, and focus, and you know, you know, football just led me to that right naturally. So it was kind of awesome in that regard. So now you obviously you train, but you're right, you train very different for football, right? Quick, explosive, and now you're like, geez, man, I got to be chasing guys potentially, you know, for for a long period of time. Uh, so being physically fit helps, of course. But like, do you find now that you've been on the job, like being physically fit's one thing, Aaron, but but how does it like? Like how physically fit do you need to be? Do you think to to be a police officer successfully? Well, you know my, you know what, I give you a good fifty meters. My my chases, I'll give you that for sure. But anything after that, man, you know, it's uh, we got we got to work collectively. That's that's all even. But um, yeah, you know what, I, I still suggest that this is very important. Every athlete, I mean, you know, Jason, you would understand. You know, afterwards you're done, um, it becomes such a party. I remember, you know, growing up. I mean. You know, being a young athlete, it was it was hit the weights, hit the weights steady, and then afterwards, uh, through your professional career, it's the same thing. You kind of break yourself down throughout the season, and then you build yourself up. Um, it's kind of something you're just very used to doing, you know. And um, and I think you know, as part of organization, I mean, they really they really stress fitness, you know, because it's really important for performance, you know, consistently. You know, night shifts aren't exactly easy for a guy. Um, in his 40s, you know, but a lot of us are doing it. We're doing it very effectively because we take care of ourselves. Uh, fitness, I mean, it keeps you feeling young for the most part. I mean, it's a young man's game in a lot of ways, out of patrol, which I, I, I'm currently in. So, um, 
the more you apply yourself, you know, fitness-wise, you take care of yourself. I mean, it's not um, obviously at the level of a professional flex, but it's very important to maintain your, you know, your being mentally sharp out there and, and consistent, you know, consistent efforts. So it's kind of something I've, I've stuck to, and I, I plan on doing it the rest of my career for sure. So what would be the floor for uh, bench press? Like I can bench press about 385, probably five, six times. So would that be qualified or do I need more than that? You know what, man? I think <laughs> that's a very healthy number. That's very healthy. I don't know if you're going to play <laughs> hockey there, brother, but, man, <laughs> it's the world's strongest man competitions coming up here pretty soon. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'm very, very impressed. But, you know, I definitely, you know, I'm, uh, it's, it's one of those things where, I, yeah, my body, I, I've changed. I mean, I, I know it's uh, – not the prettiest thing in the world, but I definitely have you know, offensive line, obviously. But I have, I have changed. I've learned to uh, enjoy running, um, whether it's by attrition or whether it's you know one way or another. But I, I've learned to enjoy it. It's part of my my practice now. I uh, I take care of myself. It's just different, right? It's different, and yeah. it's uh, it's something you enjoy doing consistently. So. <laughs> I love it. I'm just kidding. I can only bench 320. Um, but, uh, Aaron, uh, you know, so it sounds like you're really enjoying your experience with, with the force. So why would you, uh, you know, uh, talk to others about uh, joining the force, joining the team? Well, I mean, you know, I, I mean, back to my football days and the, the community relations stuff that I did there with uh, the Alps at the time there, it's similar. In no other capacity, you can find back to your community quite like police work. I really honestly believe that. Um, there's a lot of different uh, organizations in the city that work with vulnerable populations, that work with people in need, that work with victims of crime, um, and just, you know, people that are struggling, you know, at, a, at an individual case-by-case case basis. So um, it gives you a great amount of time and ability to connect your family as well. Like I said, I, I transitioned from an oil and gas job where I was I was gone quite a bit of the time, and now I'm be able to be home and connect with my family, and, um, it's, you know, it's a balanced and predictable schedule for us, and, you know, I, I really, really enjoy that part of it. Um, you know, peer support is another big one. You know, um, you know, we share the workload as best as we can on a consistent basis. We rely on each other. It's like I said, goes back to the locker room feel. Uh, each individual unit or squad that you work in, you're very connected, very close to one another. So, um, you know, Edmonton's. And lastly, I mean, from a police perspective, I mean, I think we're a, a pretty awesome organization. I mean, you know, we. We've grown progressively. It's uh, the city's gotten a lot bigger. I mean, from the time I got here to, to now, things have changed, you know, you know, wholeheartedly. So um, there's lots to look forward to. I mean, I, this organization is great. Lots of opportunity, and I mean, it's got a rich history. So I mean, it's uh, it kind of feels like I, you know, took the cleats off, put a bit of a of a work boot on in a roundabout way, but it fits and it works really well for me and my family. So yeah, it's it's a good place to be, man. Aaron Fiaconi joins us, a uh, former member of the. Uh... Elks, of course, now he's a constable for the Edmonton Police Service. Uh, they are recruiting right now, if, if you're interested, for a, for a career change. And I know there's lots of people that, you know, some people come in young, but a lot of people will come in there and they've worked in other industries and they're just looking for a, a little bit different of a change. How's your driving skills? Like, uh, you know, were you uh, were you able to, to be pretty decent on the road, take you a while to really understand how to, uh, how to function properly behind the wheel? Well, I'm a good wheel man. I'll give you that. And, you know, that's one thing I can do, you know. <laughs> I've had comfort behind the wheel. You know, that's the one thing about this. What I said earlier that you have to be able to kind of uh, be realistic about, um, you know, what you're able to do and what you're not able to do and, and own your limitations and your insecurities. Like, when I got into this, um, I had never touched a pistol in my life. Um, growing up Italian, I eat more meat from the grocery store than you could ever imagine. So, I mean, I never went hunting 
we had no fishing. We um, we were basically, yeah, we were, you know, we, we definitely went and, and did whatever we had to do. But at the same point, I mean, there's a lot of things in policing that uh, takes me out of my comfort zone when I was learning this process. And being an older guy, I mean, I had to obviously own those limitations and my insecurities. And, uh, yeah, so learning how to, how to drive is one of those things for maybe some people. For some people, maybe it's uh, use of firearms. For some people, maybe it's... It's getting their comfort zone and engaging with, you know, the general population of people in, in some pretty tough circumstances, right? But uh, you learn to get better at it. You train through it. You uh, you develop skills that obviously um, you you may not know you even have, and uh, you definitely can can perform. You know, rise to the occasion is one thing I was like to say. And anytime I, I've trained a few different officers throughout this process, and they may have insecurities or they may be nervous about certain skill sets that uh, they may be required, but you know, you always find a way to rise to the occasion. Just like in sports, you know, any any athlete, you guys have been around this long enough that uh, guys that struggle, um, you know what, put them in a position to succeed, and you'll see some pretty awesome things. So. That's pretty much the long and short of it, yeah, when it comes to those different varying skills and, and trying something new at, uh, at any age, for sure. Well, um, clearly Strud's, you know, like he can uh, he can compete with Sewell when it comes to the bench press, but I don't know if he'd ever be able to do the driving part. He can barely drive the speed limit, so I'm not sure he would uh, excel. Uh, in <laughs> yeah. Very slow not. driver. Uh, yeah, very exactly, slow yeah, driver. That's yeah, not even yeah. a joke. That's legit. Driving now, easy, man. Yeah. Yeah. now, I have <laughs> to ask you, Aaron, as a guy who's around town, you know, you're a former member of the Green and Gold. I'm sure you watch all the games. So give me your perspective from an O-lineman, when you're in on, and it's first and goal from the one-yard line, and you were a center, you also played guard, but you played center a lot. Like From an outsider's perspective, we're like, you should be able to get that yard all the time. What happens when you're not getting it? What, what's going wrong on the O-line when the defensive line's able to stuff them three times? Uh, that's a very tough one. I've been on either side. That I've been there when we can obviously have success, score the touchdown. I've been there when we lost some stuff. So, uh I can't say it's a coin flip, but sometimes it comes down to who wants it more. Sometimes it comes down to confidence. Sometimes it comes down to how long you guys been working together, playing together as a unit. Um, low man wins. That's another one technical part of it if you want to go there. But yeah, I mean, be put in a position where you got to score. It has to happen essentially. And, uh, I know any offensive lineman takes that to heart if you don't. So that uh, can make or break a game. Um, you can win or lose a lot. Uh, within inches, right? And that's the old uh, saying, it's a game of inches, and you don't score down on the goal line sometimes. Um, there's big ramifications for that. So, um, yeah, I'm sure the boys will rebound, definitely. I mean, it's it's not something that uh, is going to be um, a repeat offense is a roundabout way, you know, I don't wanna, no pun intended there, but it's not going to be something that we're going to do consistently, I hope. So the guys will get it right. That's all we can do is uh, obviously uh, foot forward and learn from what we did wrong there, and, uh, yeah, we'll get it in there next time. So, now, Aaron, I'm curious, how many of your fellow constables, um, I don't know if Dave Jameson, if, I, I don't think there was ever any footage of it, but, um, the, you know, Aaron Fiaconi had maybe one of the more, for all my 20 years of covering uh, the team, probably the most infamous, uh, uh, you know, in-practice tilt uh, you know, Xavier Jackson and then Aaron Fiaconi. I didn't even know Aaron Fiaconi. He was like, hey, you might not have fished a lot, but obviously knew how to throw an uppercut. Um, have a, has, has Rob Brown or any of your other guys uh, told your, your fellow constables about, uh, you know, your ability when, uh, when push comes to shove? Like, was that an easy transition for you that if you ever get into a melee, you know how to handle yourself? 
You know, that story follows me wherever I go, and it's like I knew this was coming for sure today, man, with you. But uh, you know what, man? I was uh, – I, I would say if I, I couldn't play hockey, it saved my life because I couldn't skate. Um, but I loved to hit, and I, and I didn't mind, you know, throwing my weight around um, in terms of the gloves for sure if I had a chance to. But uh, I definitely would have been a poor man's defenseman, and I would have got a lot of penalty minutes in hockey. But, um, yeah, you know what? It, it's – it's it's a physical game. That's how I made it in football, to be honest. I was not, obviously, the most talented, the most graceful offensive line, not like many of us are, but um, I made it through hard work. I made it through being a tough guy, right? And that's the one way that, uh, you know, I played 10 years in the CFL and I the different organizations is I had that ability to put myself into a, into a position where, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lose a fight. And I'm going to leave it at that. So, um, yeah, I was very competitive, uh, arena man you know when when you know football players are trying to uh obviously show what they're made of on a consistent basis whether it's in practice whether it's in the game you know it's a uh, tough man usually has the last thing in the end so i i definitely uh it's not something that we're super proud of at the time i took a lot of flack from my family and whatnot but um yeah that story has followed me for for quite a while but uh yeah man it uh you definitely, guys look here keeping it alive. So it's kind of a good thing. A little bit of living legend here. It's kind of oh, awesome. are you kidding me? Like, uh, yeah, I man. just, I, like, honestly, I, like, I'd, <laughs> guys, you know, the D and the O line guys, eventually over the course of the year, there'd always be a scuffle every now and then. I saw many of them. Usually in training camp was a few more. But the part about that one, though, that was so unique was Xavier Jackson's reaction afterwards when he went and he comes out from behind the garbage bin with the shovel. <laughs> and that I know it was awesome. probably. Like, that part was a little bit wild at the time. Like, I'm sure the guys in the dressing room, because I think he was released within a week or something, if my memory's correct or not. But You know, um, he, became that, a model, he became a model teammate after that one for some oh, reason did? or another. I don't know what happened. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, <laughs> I don't know, a little bit of a uh, little bit of discipline there maybe. I'm not sure what happened. But, uh, yeah, man, it was it was something. I know he came after with the shovel. And we were all just like, shovel. Is this for real? I remember Dario Romero, the D, uh, defensive lineman we had there, and good buddy of mine for sure. Um you know, the funny thing about that is just like this guy, he may have had it coming for a while, you know, and it was one of those ones where, yeah, you know what, I'd been in the league for a long time. I knew how to practice. I knew Temple. And, um, yeah, I guess I won't go into that depth, but um, we ended up getting into it. And, uh, yeah, we, we taught some of the lesson that day collectively, I think. So everybody involved, offense, defense, we all learned a bit more about each other. So it was a, it was a blessing and a curse, I guess. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Well, Aaron, it's always good to see you. I know I ran into you on the street uh, a while back here, and uh, you're looking great. Obviously, the running's paying off. And uh, you know, for anybody out there who uh, wants to follow in your footsteps, they can go to newepsrecruits.ca. Now, how does it work? Like, as an, are, are you like existing constables? Do, do you help out the recruiting class? How does that work? Yeah, not necessarily. So, I, um, you know. We... When they come back to uh, to the street, so once they're hired, go through the recruiting process. They'll they'll um, go through their training, where they're actually the more practical training, right, for a period of almost six months. And after that, they're going to be um, you know sent out to different uh, divisions throughout the city. And that's when I'll probably step in as as a training officer. I've had an opportunity to train a couple of recruits now. Um, when they get out there, uh, they get to put their skills to use, and then it's it's basically trial by fire roundabout way. That's where they learn. Um, you know how to be a police officer, and they learn their own way of doing it, their own style, and it's it's kind of a really awesome thing to watch, right? So, and uh, you know I've been part of that a couple of times, and um, the process is long. Like I said, it's 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 a very valuable process, though. And if you really want this job bad enough, it's a very demanding uh, part of the profession. Your first couple of years, but 
it's it's super rewarding at the end. So it's fun to watch uh, any young officer go through it. I know I did, and like uh, to this day, I think it's one of the funnest times I've had in my life. So I imagine for everyone else who's going through it, and they achieve it, uh, they feel the same way. So. Awesome stuff, Aaron. Uh, really good to catch up with you. Uh, we really appreciate your time. You guys are awesome. Take care. Right on, man. Thanks a lot. You go, Aaron Fiaconi. Check out newepsrecruits.ca. He's an absolute beauty of a guy, man. Uh, I've ran into him uh, numerous times, just, you know, out of different places on the street. And, yeah, he's, uh, he's a great guy. Great guy. And, and he truly does uh, love the job. He's, I've talked to him about it off the air many times. He's, he's really happy in what he's doing. So. And uh, uh, that study, I like. I know you've had, you've seen teammates get into it before. I'd never seen like that dominant of a win in an O lineman, D lineman tilt in all my twenty years. And I talked to Jameson, and he saw many of them, but it was like it was pretty convincing win. And then it was more so. <laughs> like I laugh at it now because nothing bad happened. But they used to practice a Clark for anybody who doesn't know. So that they get into the melee and they separate him. And now and Xavier Jackson, he's stewing because not only did, you know, he, he got, he lost. It was pretty blatant that he lost. So he's walking off the sidelines and there's those huge garbage bins. Like, you know, the massive ones, right, that they have out in construction sites and stuff. And so I'm t- like the big one. It's, I don't know how long. It's got to be like 30, 40 feet uh, long. And anyway, so he's walking off uh, by Clark where there's the, the, the turf ends and then there's a like a space of, I don't know, parking lot whatever it is he goes by the garbage bin and all of a sudden we see him come back and he's found a shovel like a scoop shovel and he's carrying it back and the next thing i know i see jmo uh sprinting and i'll use that uh, graciously sprinting and all of a sudden danny machocha coming over and you see them trying to talk uh, xavier jackson down <laughs> i couldn't believe it uh, this is well before the time of a uh, you know, any video because I'll tell you if that would that would have been one of the more viewed videos of all time. A the tilt, and then Xavier Jackson coming out with the shovel. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, it's crazy. Hey, fellas, having been a member of both the EPS and the RCMP, I'll say the best members are those that come from different careers. I encourage anyone to take the leap. So there you go. Check it out. New EPS recruits. We'll return. Gregor, Strauss, and Connor, and I'm Ted Sports Theater, TSN 1260. Gregor, Frederick, Connor Hanley with you. Lovely Monday afternoon as we go around the NHL, brought to you by McDonald's. Ooh, it's hot out, man. It's a scorcher. This is where you get the mini milkshake for only two bucks or a Sunday, and you can get a cone for a dollar, but only right now at McDonald's as we welcome in Kevin Woodley from Ingold Magazine and NHL.com. So, Kevin. As you go through all your analysis and you're studying all the numbers and you look at Aiden Hill and he's one win away from winning the Stanley Cup, which I don't think anybody, if you would have put on the bingo card at the start of the year, would have had Aiden Hill as the goaltender winning a Stanley Cup for a team. But he's played quite well. I know the defense in front of him is good. What type of number do you think he can command in free agency now? Is this like Huso or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, um, whatever the – like, all it takes is one, right? Like, all it takes is one team to say that what you're seeing right now is all Aiden Hill. We believe he can repeat it. We believe the only thing missing to this point was an opportunity. He's a bona fide number one goaltender. We want that guy. And you're into – no, at the end of the day, you know, most of those – like, outside of your your sort of Vasilevskis of the world, and, like, I've always said Shusterkin's going to be the next contract – that, that I watch closely. Like, even the UFAs are, like, what's the biggest contract in recent years? $5 million for 
Grubauer. Yeah, Grubauer was yeah, Grubauer was was five five nine. Oh, Markstrom yeah. was like yeah, a Markstrom six. Was six. So yeah, so like that that's your that's your high high end. So you know how far below do you go? That are you talking five? Are you talking four? You know my rule of thumb. If I'm a GM, I'm avoiding term. But if you're Aiden Hill and this is your first chance to cash a big ticket, you're looking for term and the chance to get more of these opportunities and, and lock that in. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, is it four times four? I think that's probably around where Huso ends up. Uh, if I remember that contract correctly, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And if you're Aiden Hill, do you see what you have in Vegas and the way – and this just isn't a, hey, Vegas is a good defensive team and every goalie should want to play there. I mean, he's expected to, you know, his expected save percentage in the playoffs so far is, is 890. Um, the average is 892. So it's, you know, it's not like, like he's a little below the average expected save percentage in the playoffs. They haven't, you know, he's made great saves. They've put him in tough spots, but their system fits his strengths. Like when he's facing chances, they're chances that, he's well-equipped to handle. Very rarely are you seeing Vegas give up the type of plays and chances that he's, mo- as an individual goaltender, most exposed by. And so if you're, if you're Aiden Hill, do you see the chance to stay there um, and have more success? Like, how attractive is that to you? And are you willing to take a little less? And at the end of the day, there's a lot of variables there that I don't have the answers to yet. Uh, we do know that that that. Aiden was offered a contract at a slight raise on what he's making now when he got hurt and his season sort of, they thought his season was over. Cause let's not forget, like I am seeing a lot of stuff about, you know, they're winning, they're going to win the cup with their number three or number four goaltender. But despite playing through, you know, a, a significant groin injury that ultimately sort of um, ended or we thought ended his season, um, he, you know, for the most part, like was one of their top goaltenders all season. Not like he was fourth on the depth chart. It was Bersois who was in the American Hockey League, not Aiden Hill. And so um, now that he's healthy, he bet on himself. He didn't take that contract when when they offered it to him after he was hurt. And now he's going to get rewarded for it. To to what degree depends on you know whether whether he's how much how willing he is to move on. And as I said, it you don't need a handful of teams to look at him as. Uh, the answer, all, you, all it takes is one. Yep. I think that when you look at the track, like this reminds me a little bit of, you know, how Jack Campbell ended up getting 25 in Edmonton, right? Like it, it was all about sort of what the options were and he was their best option. And some team's going to look at Aiden Hill and be like, cause it's not a super deep, like, I guess I shouldn't put, there's a lot of depth to the unrestricted class for goalies this summer, but there's not a lot of high end. Right there's Anderson, there's Varlamov, Talbot, Jari, you know, and then you're into the Aiden Hills, Brassois. At least you know, I mean, Aiden Hills risen above that in this playoff. But you want know, to score Pasalo, guys who have question marks uh, as much as they have upside. We look at this series, Bobrovsky. You know, he's not giving up a ton of goals. Is is it fair to say that he's kind of holding up his end of the bargain here for for the Panthers, and they're just not they're unable to score enough. No, honestly, like, I think Bob's been fine. I, I know there was the one game where the numbers blew up in the end, but even if you look at that one, some of the saves he was making before the goals go in, uh, to me this is about Florida being unable to insulate him from the types of chances they were earlier in the season. We talked about, you know, the screens. Look at the number of screen goals that have gone in in this round compared to the rest of the playoffs. Look at where some of the chances are coming from and compare that to early in the playoffs. And, um 
at the end of the day, sort of their ability to create those types of chances where other teams haven't either tried or been able to succeed uh, at generating, you know, pucks through screens, through traffic, sifting, you know, the type of plays that a Shea Theodore is making in this series. Um, we just didn't see that. And, and part of that was, like I said, there, there were some series earlier on where I didn't think teams were trying to attack those relative weaknesses enough. And there were other series where the Panthers were just doing such a good job of keeping those lanes free in front of him so that he could see everything. And that's the thing about Bob. Like, if you let him see the puck, you know, I'm thinking uh, there was a backdoor power play goal. Um, I think it was game, was a game three, the March so one-timer. Uh, on a brilliant sort of low high pass through the middle of the ice by Jack Eichel as he came downhill and threw it sort of back up from the goal line up to Mark Silk for a one tee. And it was Aaron Ekblad that was sort of kind of caught in no man's land between Bobrovsky and Mark Chisso, and he funnels it short side high. And it looks like a brilliant, but Bob had no chance. Like that's the type where you just tip your hat. But if you actually go back and look at it, I'm like, man, if if Ekblad isn't in that lane and Bob sees that clearly, he gets there. Like, he's got his knees under him. He's not sprawling. He's in control. The blocker is out and projecting forward. If he sees that release, I think he makes that save. And there's just been more in this series where he's not seeing that release. He's not seeing the puck come to him, uh, in part because sometimes his own defenders are in his way. But I think also that Vegas has done a better job of pulling them into his lanes and going there uh, themselves uh, compared to sort of earlier in the playoffs. And you know, at the other end of the at the other end, like we've talked about this with Aiden Hill, like making great saves in tight. What did I say going into the series? Like you're not going to beat him in tight unless you can elevate. Man, like I think well, obviously we'll find out when this is over. What's up with Matthew Kachuk? But how many chances did he have the other night? And I think the final one would have been after the buzzer anyway, where, you know, despite playing limited minutes and obviously not 100%, when he did get his chances, like he either couldn't elevate or the one he had that he did elevate, again, it's Peter Angelo sort of in that lane and forces him to shoot back against the grain. He shoots it right into where Aiden Hill was. If he shot it into the open side of the net, it's there. There's exposure on those plays. They're just not finishing those chances when they create them, and I don't think they're creating enough of the type of chances that I would be trying to if I'm scoring on Aiden Hill, and that's higher in the zone, where you put him in more of a pure reaction element. In tight, like your only reaction is to get across and take away the bottom of the ice and see if you can build vert- vertical coverage. It's like you're reacting into a block. You're reacting into space. You're not actually reacting off a release with your hands, and I think we're – not that Aiden Hill's bad at it, but relative to everything else and as well as he's playing, I want middle of the zone and higher where Vegas has created a ton of chances where I force him to use those hands, to be reactive with those hands, as opposed to giving him an opportunity to just move that big body and those long limbs into a space and then say, basically play hit me um, because the Panthers have done a really good job, frankly, uh, of hitting him in those situations, not elevating not getting it into the top third of the net on chances where all he has is a, is an extended pad and maybe a glove over top of it. Kevin Wheeler joins us. I'm the sports leader, TSN 1260. Kevin, uh, Hellebuck, not a big surprise report. He doesn't want to sign long-term in Winnipeg. So if you're the Winnipeg Jets, and maybe if you're opposing teams, like – I think any team he goes to, it's going to be good. Every every goaltender will play better if you have an elite defense core in front of them, usually, just because you're going to limit the, the quality chances. But 
When you look at Hellebuck, do you see a team where you say, okay, this is a really good fit currently the way they play and the way he plays? Ooh. I wish I, – I, I should have looked up. There's a, there, are, there are a couple of different types of chances that if my team is really good at preventing these – like Connor Hellebuck's a good goalie, so he's going to be good on any team. But it's not so much good defensive team versus bad defensive team as specific types of chances. And what I just can't do fast enough here as we're talking is pull up who gives up more of these. But off the top of my head, based off, off, off past research, I'll give you an example of a place where I don't think he's a good fit, and that would be Buffalo. So I've seen, again, and I and I maybe I pulled this one out because I've heard it, I've seen it in my Twitter feed, people making the suggestion, and again. Connor Hellebuck would still be really good in Buffalo. But given the acquisition cost, given the expectations that would come with it, you're expecting Vesna Trophy candidate Connor Hellebuck if you're paying that ticket. You're expecting a guy who can come in and make your team significantly better. And the truth is, that means you want to have him playing to his strengths. And East-West plays, which Buffalo gives up a lot of, and that's why a guy like you know, Eric Comrie had the lowest expected save percentage in the National Hockey League this year because of all the seam plays and seam passes that they give up. Well, that's that's something you don't want to be giving up if Connor Hellebuck's your goalie. Again, doesn't it's not that he's a bad goalie by any means. He's one of the few you'd put in that elite class that most people would. But if you're giving up east-west, if you're giving up seams, if you're giving up laterals, you are asking him to play to his biggest, I don't want to say weakness again, because he's an elite goalie, but relative to everything else he does at an elite level, that's where he's not as good. It's like we, it's like the conversation we had at the, in the first round about trying to beat Vasilevsky with screens and tips. Well, screens and tips are quality chances. They're also his biggest relative weakness. He was like 19th, if I recall, uh, over the last five years when it comes to that ranking. Well, he's also top five in every other type of chance. So you want to attack the thing he's 19th at. He's still top third of the league at it, but relative to everything else he does well, that's where you attack him. And that's Connor Hellebuck on East-West. If you've got a team that doesn't give that up and you force teams to attack in straight lines, there may not be a better goaltender in the world in straight lines than Connor Hellebuck. He is elite plus-plus if you're coming at him in straight lines. But if you're going east-west, those numbers fall off a cliff would be a, a little bit of hyperbole, but they drop significantly to the point where they're, you know, they're around average. And if you're acquiring Connor Hellebuck, you're not expecting him to be average. So you better not be a team that's just willy-nilly defensively and trades chances, especially off the rush, and gives up a lot of east-west plays. And I think there are a lot of people, and I actually wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of teams that look at it and just go, he's a great goalie, he'll make our team better without digging into that level of detail. And he's a goalie that I think the relative strengths and weaknesses of his game, you need to pay attention to that when you're making that decision. And he should be. If he has a voice in where he goes or how much say I don't know he will have in this, if it was a year from now and he was an unrestricted free agent, I would hope that he'd be doing the research to make sure, because we all hear, like, he wants to win, right? That's, that's one, it's not about not liking Winnipeg. It may be because he wants to win. Well, my chances of winning aren't just, hey, this is a great up-and-coming team. I would want to know which great up-and-coming team also defended 
to my strengths rather than to my weaknesses. Tough, Kev. I really appreciate it as always, man. Insightful. Have yourself a wonderful week. And uh, likely next week we'll be talking the draft as we are uh, just uh, over two weeks away and some pending free agent goaltenders. The greatest game of musical chairs we've yet to see maybe this summer's free agency class and goaltending. I feel like I say it every year, but, man, like it is so deep. Can't wait to get into it. Awesome. That's Kevin Woodley from Ingold Magazine and NHL.com. Always great stuff when it comes to goaltending. We'll take a quick break. We'll return five questions on The Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. It's a great tune, man. It's a really good tune. Although I, I think I like the Traveling Wilburys version better. So, Traveling Wilburys, man, a sick old band. Oh, gosh, I got some good tunes. Good tune. But that one by the Headstones I like. I like it a lot. Let's get to five questions brought to you by our good friends at The Brick. Today is their uh, final day of their 96-hour sale, up to 25% off dining, bedroom, and home entertainment furniture. Don't hesitate. Stop in today at The Brick and TheBrick.com. It's time for five questions on the Jason Greger Show. All right, guys, question number one. When you look back at the Elks' loss of the Riders yesterday, is there one area of the game that stood out to you above the rest as a weakness, and how easily is it fixed? You know, I, I, listen, I'm not a football expert, but as I watched the game, I felt there was a lot of throws that Taylor could have put you know, in, in a better spot to give his running back or receiver or whomever a chance to carry it or catch it. Um, so I think that's an area that if he can – now, he might have been under pressure, which is fair, but if he can clean – even just help his receivers a little bit, I think that those guys have a better chance to get it and they'd have less two and outs. Well, yeah, that'd be nice. Um, I'm just going to go with their, uh, their O-line play. I didn't uh... – it wasn't good enough. They, they wanted to come in and run the ball, and they didn't run the ball very effectively. Obviously, the most notable is when you couldn't even get one yard three times in a row. So I will go with the uh, lack of push and openings from the offensive line. I like that one. Question number two. With their new coach in place, where do you think the Flames will finish in the Pacific next season? This is early on. Um, <laughs> well, right it's not down. over yet. Yeah, yeah, Vegas and Edmonton I still have as the top two. And then I would uh huh. I like Seattle I just hey man, I think there's a, like I went through their players today, like Daniel Sprung at twenty one goals. Like, are you kidding me? So I'm gonna say that Calgary will be fourth in the Pacific. I'm with you, Greg. So I got Vegas, Empton, uh, and LA. I think those. I think LA is going to be better than they and they were good already this year. Um, and then I think Seattle and Calgary battled up for the fourth spot. But you know, Calgary's only seven points behind Seattle. And when I saw that team practice in Calgary, it was like a funeral. So is that seven, eight points? I bet you it is. So I, I could see them really fighting with Seattle and maybe even pushing them out. Question number three. If the Joker adds an NBA championship to his resume to go along with his two MVPs, his five straight All-Stars, his three-time All-NBA first team, two-time second team, he would be a top-blank player of all time. Oh, he's you know he's getting up there. He's building himself a case, right, for his, his, whole, his whole 
you know, it's, it's his career. Um, you know, I think getting the one title is amazing. You get two, I think that bumps you up even more. So he's he's moving up the list. He gets a second one in the next year or two. Uh, I think that really takes him to another level. So I'll wait for that. Well, the thing about Jokic is we just haven't really seen a player who does what he does, right? Like he's not the athletic marvels guys like Johnson or sorry. Well, Magic Johnson is more of a playmaker, but he's still pretty good athletically. But Michael Jordan was a freak. LeBron James, right? Like those guys legit. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter the game has ever seen. And then you, you had other big men, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Wilt, all of them, but none of them really distributed the ball like the Joker at all. So, um, very deceptive in, in how he goes about it. He might have the best touch around the basket that I've seen for a big man. So, honestly, cons. I think his career, like, it's just getting started. So I, I don't even want to put a cap on where he might be when it's all said and done. Uh, I will say this, though. Because he's not an American, he is not going to get remotely close. Like, try, it happens. People don't even want to admit it. Canadians do it at times in the NHL when it comes to European players, and they're just not regarded on the same level. Okay? It's just, we've seen it many times, and I think that's what you're going to see with, uh, with Jokic. I have never seen a team that's one win away from a championship that's going to go 16 and four, and people talking about trying to downplay it every turn. Their two all-stars guys are not American. Make no mistake, that will skew how they are viewed. And you can't change it. Now, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm telling you it's there. You already see it. Not bad for a guy who was drafted during the Taco Bell commercial. Question number four, where do you guys think Fred Van Vliet, play, Van Vliet plays next season after declining the option with the Raptors? Go ahead, Strutty. I'll go Houston Rockets. Yeah, I think they need to get someone in there that's a little bit of a mature player it competes um, now it could be a little bit more complicated if if Harden goes in there but um, I, I think the Rockets are a team that could could use a kind of a gritty championship winning veteran like that well if Harden leaves maybe he goes to Philly so I'll say yeah, Philly good point there you go all right final question for you guys on this day in 1981 Raiders of the Lost Ark was released in theaters which eventually led to one of my favorite theme park rides in Disneyland. What is your favorite theme or amusement park ride of all time? Well, I've never been to uh, Disneyland or Disney World yet. so. Um, but I'm going to say I went to Six Flags uh, one time when I was uh, 19, and it was more of like an adult theme park. It was all just massive roller coasters. It was unbelievable. But anyway, they had, I don't remember the name of it, but I just remember it was black and yellow. And it was one where, as you would go on the roller coaster, it was ones where you were hanging, right? So it was like a roller coaster, but it had the, the two seats, and it was individual, and you would kind of hang almost like you're in a gondola, and it would go around like that around the track, and you were un. Beneath, but as it turned, it kind of swung a bit. And so you're going by trees, and I always thought you were going to hit the tree. And obviously, we're never going to hit the tree. It was amazing. This is the favorite ride I've ever been on. For me, it was uh, the Avatar uh, flight flight of passage down in uh, Disney World, I believe it is. I was screaming, like not scream, but I was like cheering while I was riding. It's like you're on the back of a bird, or I guess it's a dragon. I guess they're related. But I honestly, guys, that was an unbelievable ride. The greatest ride I've ever been on. I'm not sure I'll ever go on a better ride in my life. It was incredible. What about you, Conrad? 
too many uh disneyland i'll say tower of terror was a good one i know it's gone now i think they still have it out in florida but tower of terror was a very fun one for me followed by space mountain oh tower i love that one too but now it's changed now it's uh, uh guardians of the galaxy yeah and uh, still awesome though like i love that raccoon rocket i think he's a raccoon or maybe this big squirrel but that 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 ride is incredible. Like the Disneyland rides or whatever Disney World, they're inc- they're absolutely incredible. Those rides. I thought you didn't go on rides, Stratty. It's happening here. Well, I love I go on them, but sometimes I feel sick. But those ones are so good. But it's funny, like that Avatar ride didn't get me sick at all. My wife puked after, but she said it was worth it. But uh, I was fine. <laughs> Honestly, man, anyone who even my mom went on, she was queasy mode the rest of the day. I don't think she brought it up, but. Uh, Got to get in the mix. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you got to go on some of the rides. It's a thrill. It's the whole point. Otherwise, what's, you know, why are you going to the, you can't just walk around the amusement park, can you? Well, now maybe some people can because they just don't like the rides, but I feel sorry for those people. I'm kind of missing out. Do you guys do like the teacups, those types of rides? I've done them, yeah. And are you like the person who gets it going crazy? Because you you control it, right? Yeah, that one one gives me the old queasy modal. Sure. I'm not a big spinner, no. so I don't. Yeah. Uh, I don't love the uh, the just the straight spinning rides. People that go on them have a lot of respect, but not uh, not my forte. Yeah, I, don't I like guess it so. at all. Yeah, you I do it. Stuff. I mean, whatever. But yeah, you'll do it, Stratty, But you're not loving it. <laughs> no, that no, I don't. Just for the kids when they were younger, I did it because they want to get in there. Like, yeah, let's do this, and then come up, <clears throat> just puke in your mouth and keep going, right? But. Uh, just had three churros. <laughs> well, that is the key when you're at the park. It's ensuring what you eat can uh, can definitely change how your uh, your ride experience is. There's no question about that. Quick break. We'll come back. Uh, Rashad will join us. We'll try to ask. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. He's got any good questions? We'll find out next oh, on Edmonton oh, oh. Sports Leader, TSN 1260. As we get to uh, Connor Halley, Sports Center update brought to you by. Edmonton, Kubota, all the power you need to get the big job done. Engineered for adaptability and versatility on the field. All their agricultural tractors are suitable for your Canadian farming needs. Edmonton, Kubota.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.